0: book of Jeremiah tonight, chapter number 32, and I want you to read with me in verse number 16 and verse number 17. Let's stand together as we honor the word of the living God. Jeremiah 32 and verse number 16, now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase, and to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And I don't know if you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, but I would encourage you to underline that phrase, that there is nothing too hard for thee. And I want to preach for just a moment to help you wherever you're at on there's nothing too hard for God. Heavenly Father, tonight I stand in a place where I cannot stand alone. These people, Lord, have come tonight to hear a word from God. And I am a man, as Peter said. I am nothing without you. But I am reminded according to what the disciples and the apostles became that if the Spirit of the living God will fill me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, that you can accomplish the impossible tonight. Lord, you can encourage your people to keep climbing the mountain or wait till it moves. Lord, you can take a sinner and shake the devil out of them and put heaven inside of them. So Lord, whatever your will is tonight, here is my prayer. You do the impossible encourage the broken, I pray, God, you would heal the shattered, and I pray you would save the lost. But most of all, you lift up high the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll be happy with that, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You be seated tonight. The book of Jeremiah is what you and I would refer to as the last prophet that would write in the kingdom of Israel. Jeremiah was the last man that would write under the monarchy that would reign in the house of David. In just a few hours, Nebuchadnezzar would break down the gates of the city of Jerusalem and he would march in victorious over the monarchy. Nebuchadnezzar had encircled the city gates of Jerusalem. And when you come to chapter number 32, Jeremiah is not writing from the rich Carlton. He is not writing from the Holiday Inn. Man, he ain't even writing from the Howard Johnson. He is at the bottom of a pit. He is in a prison. And the word of the Lord comes to him, and this is what the Spirit of God tells him. He says, Jeremiah, your cousin is going to come to you and he's going to mock you and he's going to make fun of you and he's going to tell you to buy the land of your fathers. He wants you to go and buy a field at Anathoth. And Jeremiah, I want you to do it. Jeremiah says, now, God, why in the world would I do that? That land is under Babylonian rule. That land is under Babylonian control. Why in the world would I buy land that is under the enemy's control? He says, Jeremiah, I want you to do it because that land is not always going to be under enemy control. And he says, God, how in the world can that be? Well, his cousin comes to him and he says, Jeremiah, you're in prison, son, but your father's land has come open at Anathoth. Would you like to buy it? Jeremiah says, well, I don't have a checkbook and I don't have a wallet and I ain't got no shekels, but yeah, I'll buy it. I'll pay for the land and I'll buy my father's land. He says, Jeremiah, that land is under enemy control. Jeremiah said, yeah, it may be under enemy control, but God ain't done yet. He said, the day's going to come when the enemy is cast out and that land is back under the rule of God. His cousin says, are you kidding me? The Babylonians own that land, brother. How do you think that it's going to happen, that the God of heaven is going to throw the enemy out and he's going to rule again? Jeremiah steps back in that muddy prison. He throws his eyes up to the heavens and he says, our oh, Lord God, I know you're the one that made the heavens and you made the earth and I got one thing in my heart, that it may be impossible to man, but there is nothing too hard for God. He said, it may be impossible to man, but it is not impossible to God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the clarion call of the entire Bible, that there is nothing too hard for God. I want you to roll your mind back to brother Noah as he stands up looking up through a window in the top of that ark, being rocked and rolled in that wind and those waves as he looks up to heaven and he is in the safety of that ark and he says, I don't know much, but I know there's nothing too hard for God. I want you to look at Moses standing on the other side of the Red Sea deliverance when he's got Pharaoh on the bottom of the Red Sea. I want you to look at him as he looks up to heaven and says, I don't know what just happened, but I've got a testimony. There is nothing too hard for God. I want you to look at Brother David as he's out on the battlefield in the valley of Elah as he's got blood from a giant dripping from his girdle as he's got the head of the giant in his hand and he's got the sword of Goliath in the other one and you say David what just happened? He says honey I don't really know altogether what just happened but I got a testimony that there is nothing too hard for God. I want you to stand on top of Mount Carmel with brother Elijah as he's giving haircuts to the prophets of Baal right below the neckline say amen right there. You say Elijah what just happened? He said i don't I don't know, but I looked up to heaven. I prayed 64 words, and fire came out of the heavens, and I just got the testimony there is nothing too hard for God. I want you to look at John Wildman Baptizer, at the Bathpara, at the River Jordan, as he looks up out of the muddy banks of Jordan, and he looks up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He said, John Baptizer, how in the world is that going to happen? He said, I don't know. But there ain't nothing too hard for God. I want you to look at Sister Mary on that third glorious morning as she makes her way down to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, as she goes into a tomb where the stone has been rolled away. There's a napkin folded up at the head of that gravestone, and there's an angel sitting there in white apparel. And he says, "Ye men of Israel, you've come seeking the Galilean. You've come seeking the Nazarene. He is not here, for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord did lay. Mary steps back. She goes and gets Peter, and she says, Peter, you ain't going to believe it. Thomas, I know you ain't going to believe it. Boys, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. They say, Mary, how do you know he's alive? She shakes her head and says, I'll tell you how I know he's alive, because there's nothing too hard for God. I want you to fast forward 50 days after that at the southern steps of the Temple Mount. and old fisherman named Peter, that man that had just cursed the name of God, that man that had just walked away from the name of God, he'd been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands up on the day of Pentecost, on the southern steps, and he says, ye men of Israel, you crucified the Lamb of Glory, you crucified the Lord of Life, but that same Jesus that you put in that grave, he came up victorious, and God hath made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ. Peter had it gone do that. He said, I can't altogether tell you, I just know there ain't nothing too hard for God. I want you to see Brother Paul as he's afloat now like a cork in a pond in the middle of the Mediterranean. Honey, he's holding on to a board after the storm of his life. Fourteen days and fourteen nights in the deep, they've been a-bobbing up and down. Son, that cyclone came their way, busted that ship in a thousand pieces. Honey, he grabbed on to the storm. He grabbed on rather to the board in that storm, and he made it to the Shores of Milita, honey, he wipes the Mediterranean off his brow and every soldier and every every, uh, every, uh, prisoner comes around him and they say, Peter, how did you know that we were going to make it safe through that storm? He said, boys, I believe God and I believe there is nothing too hard for God. Lift your eyes to John the Revelator on top of the Isle of Patmos, that rock Isle of Patmos, that copper mine, that iron mine at Patmos as he looks up and he's just got the vision of the man walking in between the candlesticks. He's just seen the Alpha and the Omega. He's just seen the beginning and he's seen the end. He's seen the one holding the candlesticks. He's seen the one with the blood dripping down from his girdle. He's seen the one coming out of heaven. He's seen the one riding with 10,000 upon 10,000 of his saints. He's seen the one that just slayed the Antichrist. He's seen the one that took the devil by the nap of the neck, threw him into the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet. And John, the Revelator, he looks up and he says, boys, I got a testimony. I just want to say there is nothing too hard for God. And may I remind people in Lebanon, Tennessee tonight that the same God of Abraham and the same God of Isaac and the same God of Jacob and the same God of David and the same God of Moses and the same God of Elijah and the same God of John Baptist and the same God of our Lord Jesus Christ is the same God that's looking for people that'll stand up in our day and say, I may not know much. I may not have a degree. I may not have an education, but I got faith in my heart that there is nothing too hard for the God of heaven. Brothers and sisters, I remind you tonight, God's looking for somebody that'll have faith. You say, now, Tyler, how do you know there's nothing too hard for God? Well, in the chapter that we read, chapter number 32, there are seven names of God mentioned. And I mean all seven, honey, they're juicy as they can be. But if I started preaching on the seven names of God, we'd be here all night long. And I ain't one of them preachers. I got Pentecost in me, but I ain't one of them preachers. There's seven names of God, but there are five names that are repeated more than one time. And whenever Jeremiah was thinking about how nothing was too hard for God... He didn't pull but one thing out, and that was the name of God. You say, how do you know there's nothing too hard for God? Well, he gives us a few of those names. Let me just give you a couple of them. I ain't going to preach long. Here's what you tell me. You say, how do you know there's nothing too hard for God? Because, first of all, he's a creating God. He says in verse number, you look down, if you will, in verse, uh, scroll down, if you will, to verse number 38. In verse number 38 He says, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. When you see that word God, G-O-D, in the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew name of God, Elohim. And whenever you see that word Elohim, that's always a reference to the creating hand of God. Brothers and sisters, I remind you right now, when God went to make it all, he had nothing to start with. In fact, he didn't just have nothing to start with because nothing hadn't even been created yet. When God went to form it all, he didn't have a plan that he could go down to Radio Shack or Best Buy. He didn't have something down at Home Depot or Lowe's. You see, when God went to create this whole thing, he reached down into the bucket of nothing he pulled out a handful of oblivion and he took that same handful of oblivion and he threw it into the spaces and the chasms of absolute nothing. And from nothing, God brought forth everything. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And one day, God decided, I think I'll put some stars twinkling in the sky. And God, with the word of his mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took stars and he sparkled them in the heaven. He said, those are so beautiful beautiful, I think I'll put a big red orange ball burning in the sky. So God reached down into the same bucket of nothing and he pulled out a handful of hydrogen and he pulled out a handful of helium and he pulled out a handful of neon and he pulled out a handful of oxygen and he flared up what you and I are still seeing burn in the sky called the sun. Ladies and gentlemen, you say, is the sun ever going to burn out? No, it's never going to burn out, but the day's going to come when the S-U-N has to bow down to the S-O-N as he rules and reigns from spiritual, heavenly, holy Jerusalem, all the days of eternal bliss. You see, here's what I've tried to tell you. How do I know there's nothing too hard for God? You say, I don't have anything. That's exactly when God likes to step into a situation. When there's a bucket of nothing, God likes to reach down in that bucket of nothing. When there's a bucket of no salvation in your heart, he loves to reach down in that bucket. When there's a bucket of no hope in that situation, God likes to reach down in that bucket. When there's a bucket of no hope for that drunk, that alcoholic, that situation, that relationship, that's when the creating God of all eternity loves to come down and reach down into that bucket. He says, I got nothing to work with. That's what I like to start out working with. And he'll flare out what all of us could never dream of. He's a creating God. But then in chapter number 32, in verse number 1, repeated over and over, we don't just see he's a creating God, but we see he's a covenant-keeping God. You see, in verse number 1 of chapter 32, the Bible says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now, if your Bible's looking like my Bible, that ought to be very unique. It ought to be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your Bible, that's always what we refer to as the personal name of God, Yahweh. Whenever you and I go to, we got a lot of names, I got a lot of names, I'm I'm preacher, I'm dad, I'm husband, I'm son, I'm, I'm brother. But whenever I go to sign a contract, I don't sign it preacher. I don't sign it daddy. If I went down to the local Bank of America chapter and I decided that it was time to buy a new vehicle and I said, I think I'm going to put my name on the dotted line, and I signed it with my title, they would look at me and say, that is no good because your title is not who you are, it's what you do. If I want you to know you're going to keep your covenant, your end of the deal, sign your name. Now, whenever God gets ready to keep a covenant, he doesn't write Jehovah Shalom. That's a title. He doesn't write Jehovah Jireh, that's a title. He doesn't write Jehovah Sabbath, that's a title. I'll tell you what he does. He goes to sign his name and his name is Yahweh. And whenever God puts his name on the dotted line, that's his way of reminding me and reminding you, I'm putting my my money where my mouth is and my money is in my name. Ladies and gentlemen, when God told Israel that I would never leave them and I would never forsake them, he signed it with his name. And he said, Jeremiah, it may look like the land's gone to the Babylonians, but I made a covenant with you. And it may look one way, but by the time this story is over, it's going to be another way. Ladies and gentlemen, why does that bless me? I'll tell you why that blesses the pure fire out of my soul. Because when I got in Christ, I did not get in the Savior. I did not get in the Master. I did not get in the Redeemer. I got in Jesus Christ. I did not get in a title. I got in the name and stamped on my soul. is the name of Jesus Christ. How do I know God will keep his promises to me? Because honey on the deep recesses of my soul is the name of the only begotten son of God full of grace and glory. How do you know God is going to keep his word to let you in heaven one day? Because stamped on the ever recesses of your soul is not the name savior. It's not the title redeemer. Honey stamped on the ever loving recesses of your soul and my soul. If you're in Jesus Christ I've got the name of of Jesus, and here's what happened it's called imputation. I have no idea what it means, but I like thinking about it. Say amen, right there. Here's what it means it means on that day when Jesus Christ died for me, and I got saved by the grace of Christ, and I bowed in repentance and in faith, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Here's what God did God took everything I was and stamped it on Jesus, and He took everything that Jesus was and He stamped it on me. On the Son of God was my sin. On the Son of God was my torment. On the Son of God was my judgment. On the Son of God was my eternal damnation. But honey, on me is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be called the righteousness of God. How do I know he'll do that? He's a covenant-keeping God. I, I listen, I got one more. I got, I got one more. I got one more. There's five of them, but I got one more. Honey, he's a creating God. Ain't nothing too hard for him. He's a covenant-keeping God. Ain't nothing too hard for him. Ain't, 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 ain't a word. I know that, but it feels good. It ain't nothing too hard for him. Number three, he's a controlling God. Where do you get that from? Well, if you look down in verse number 14, it says, Thus saith The Lord of hosts. Now, honey, I'm not an intelligent human. In fact, I'm not even sure how to get home. But there's a big, fat word that preachers like to throw around, and I'm pretty sure they don't know how to spell it. It's called sovereignty. Now, I barely made it through school. I hated every second of school. I hated preschool. I hated kinder school. I hated elementary school. I hated middle school. I hated high school. I hated college school. I hated divinity school. I, hate, I hated driving school. I hated every aspect of school. If it's a book and it's a classroom and I got to sit still, I got a hard time with it. And they used to give me this big, long definition of what sovereignty meant. And I forgot it. So I made up my own. I call it King Tyler theology. Instead of the King James Version, it's the King Tyler Version. Do you know what the word sovereignty means in redneck North Carolina English? It means God's in control all the time. Ain't never not a time when God ain't in control. Ain't never a time when God ain't in charge. Ain't never a time when God ain't on the throne. Ain't never a time when God don't know what's going on. Ain't never a time when He ain't got it going on. Ain't never a time when He lets go of the reins. Ain't never a time when He don't know what's going to happen. Ain't never a time when He thought about letting go of the reins. Ain't never a time when He thought about letting the devil have control. Ain't never a time when anything happened. Here's what I'm telling you: I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your situation. I don't know what's going on in your family. But I remind you right now, based upon the authority of the Word of God, that the Lord of Hosts is a controlling God. He's in control. of this whole thing. He's got the nation under his hand. He's got the church under his hand. He's got the child of God under his hand. He's got the situation under his hand. He's got your family member under his hand. He's got the world under his hand. I love that old song. he got the whole wide world in his hands. Let me add a little Pentecostal flair. He's got the whole wide world in his hand. Yes, he does. Here's what I'm telling you right now. Our gods are controlling God. Our God's got it under control. Don't you let the Democrats bother you. Don't you let the Republicans bother you. Don't you let the, demo, uh, the, the donkeys or the elephants bother you. Our God's in control. Our king's on the throne. Honey, his trains are running right on time. The throne of God is still in heaven. The house of God is still okay. The people of God are still going to make it. We're heaven bound with the hammer down. We couldn't go to hell if we wanted to. The Baptist can't send me there. And the church of God can't send me there. And the church of Christ can't send me there. And the people can't send me there. Even the people that tell me to go there can't send me there. I remind you right now. Our God is in control. You need to take a step back look the devil in the eyeballs and remind him where he's headed and remind him whose hand you're in. He's a controlling God and he always will be. Brothers and sisters listen to me now. Oh that was introduction. (laughs) Don't you hate it when preachers say that. I do and I is one. Listen to me now. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. But what does that have to do with you? We can shout about that. But it doesn't matter how high or how big or how far you can jump. If you don't know how to walk straight when you land, what good is it? I've met a lot of people who knew how to shout loud, but they didn't have enough faith to stay quiet. They knew how to jump high, but they didn't have enough God in their heart to walk straight. I'm not worried about what you know. I'm worried about do you know the one that it's about. Can I give you three little things? I promise you, they're shotgun fast. Three things, since there's nothing too hard for God, you can rest in. Number one, since there's nothing too hard for God, you can rest in the fact that there's no saint he can't secure There ain't a single person in the church of the living God that has ever been saved by the grace of God that has ever fallen out of the hand of God. I don't care who you are tonight. This may be your first night, whether you're a teenager, a college kid, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're single, whether you're widowed, and you say, I have walked away from God. You just came into the church tonight. Maybe you've been here for several nights, and you've messed up on God. Maybe you've fallen out. The old-timers used to call it backsliding, and maybe that's a good way to put it, whether it is that is not that. You're not where you have always been with God. The devil has got you convinced though that I can't get right with God. I've gone too far. I can't get back with God. I've gone too far. I've slipped too far. I've done too much. May I remind you right now, he's the God that made it all. He's the God that secured it all. Our God is in control and there's not one single saint that has ever been in Jesus Christ that has ever fallen out of the hand of God. Honey, you may be like the prodigal and you've wandered down to the far country, you may not can see your house from where you're at, but can I just give you a glimpse of what's a happening at the house of the Father, honey? He's waiting on the porch and he's waiting for you to come back home. He's calling your name, he's saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can come back to God right now. You say, Tyler, what do I do? You got to do what that prodigal did, you got to make a choice to hit the trail, kick the rail, and leave the pail. You got to make your way back down to the the father's house. You've got to make a choice in just a minute as the prodigal son did. He made his way back away. you got to get up out of that seat, make your way to an altar and say, Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm done with my ways. I'm done with my sin. I'm done with messing up. I'm giving you everything I've got. I'm selling out to you. I'm giving you everything. I'm throwing in with you. I'm coming back home. And when you come back home, you're going to find Your father's name is still on your birth certificate. He didn't erase his name off of your soul. He didn't wash away what he'd done for you. I'll tell a personal story if you promise not to judge me. I know how Baptists are. I've been around y'all a long time. Son, I was Baptist born, Baptist bred. When I'm dead, I'll be Baptist dead. My... uh, my wife had one sister. Me and Erica, we have been married for 15 years. She was 19, when we got married. And um, she had one baby sister. Her name was Kaylee. When I met my wife, Kaylee was seven years younger than my wife. She, she'd have been about 12 years old when I met Erica. Me and Erica didn't date long. We, we dated a few months, got engaged, got married, Time out. If you're in here and you're dating and you know she's the one and you're trying to save up enough money and when you get enough money, you'll get married, you ain't never going to have enough money, so you may as well go ahead and get married. And if she ain't the one, bye, Felicia. You got to go. Quit wasting time. That's free. Time back in. I have a tremendous case of ADHD, and I felt a leading there the Holy Ghost. We got married. As Kaylee got older, she got into her late teen years and she started wandering away from God, started falling out of the church and the things of God. She's 21 years old, two days before my birthday in November. My wife called me. She was crying. She said, Tyler, get to Cone Hospital. She said, Kaylee's been in a bad car accident. And before Kaylee was in her accident, we used to beg her to come to church. Beg her to come back to church. That's what she'd always say. She'd say, Tyler, those people don't want me. I've gone too far. I've wandered too far. I I can't. Kayla was in that wreck. She never regained consciousness. She was on life support for about four or five days. And the doctor said, we're going to have to do something more long-term. But there's no brain activity. She's gone. My mother-in-law made the decision. My father-in-law had to make the decision that she was already gone. We all made our way into the room. My wife, sobbing, kissed her little baby sister. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law was sitting there weeping. I just walked up to her head. And they'd shaved part of her head from her accident. And I walked into that room, and I kissed her on the head, and this is what I made a promise to her. I said, honey bear, listen to me. I said, I give you my word. That everywhere I go, I'll tell people that you're never too far gone that the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ can't wash away your sin, and you can't come back to God. And my sister-in-law is in heaven right now. And I gave her my word and so I'll just tell you like it is. The Baptists may not like it, but they didn't die for you. And the people may not like it, but they didn't die for you. But there is a river flowing from Emmanuel's veins and there is blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. In just a second you get up out of your seat and you say I'm turning my back on my ways. I'm turning my back on my sin. I'm getting back together with God. I'm getting back it right with God. I'm going to make it right, and I'm going to come back. I promise you, there's no saint that God can't secure. Number two, there is no situation God can't swing. Jeremiah, how in the world is God going to rip out of the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the land you just bought? He said, I don't know. I just know there's nothing too hard for God I, you listen. We are so bad at excusing away what the Bible really says. There is nothing, no thing, nothing. Too hard. It does not say there's nothing except what you're going through. There's nothing unless it's what you're going through. My Bible says there is nothing. Say it with me. Nothing. Say it one more time like a Pentecostal. Nothing too hard for God. We either believe all of the Bible or none of the Bible. I don't care if it's a divorce. I don't care if it's a single mother. I don't care if it's a divorced family. I don't care if it's a bill. I don't care if it's a messed up situation. I don't care if it's a church. I don't care if it's a deacon. I don't care if it's a loved one. I don't care if it's a child that's gone astray. I don't care what it is. God's looking for somebody that'll get on their face before a holy God and lay that situation out before him like Hezekiah did when Sennacherib sent that letter and said, God, let me just tell you how the enemies of God are mocking your name and making fun of you, ladies and gentlemen, there is absolutely nothing too hard for God. Can I give you a story if you promise not to judge me? I was 20 years old, and I was in Bible college. I got called to preach at 18 years old. I wanted to be a firefighter. My daddy's a firefighter. I don't have preachers in my family. Now, my grandmama spoke in tongues, but it wasn't the kind you hear in church It was the kind that normally came after you ran from a belt. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. My daddy's a firefighter. I want to be a firefighter like my daddy. God called me to preach on a Tuesday. I told my pastor on a Wednesday. I took an ACT to get into Bible college on a Saturday. I announced to my church I was called to preach on Sunday, and I started Bible college on Monday. I'm talking flip my world upside down in a week. I realized pretty quickly after going to Bible college that if you ain't poor before you go, you'll be poor by the time you get done. Three weeks after God called me to preach and I started Bible college, my mother and father divorced. It was me, my mama, and my baby sister, four years younger than me. We lost a house. We, we, we had to move out of everything. And I'm not telling you preacher stories. I'm telling you just like it happened. We lost it all. I had to drive 50 miles one way going to Bible college. I'd turn around. I'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd go to Bible college. I'd be there at 7.30 in the morning. Took my classes. Left at 2 o'clock. Went to the city garage in Greensboro. I worked until 9 o'clock at night. And I did that for two and a half years going back and forth. And I mean just barely paying my bills. I'm talking barely paying my bills. And there was a woman that worked in the registrar's office. And if you don't believe in demon possession, I'll introduce you and make you a believer. Almost every week, brother Troy, she'd come find. Oh, Mister Gold, waddle out to me. Oh, Mister Galden, would you like to pay on your bill today? Ten dollars, maybe. $20? She said, maybe you'd like to have a little faith and pay $50. And I had to bow my head in shame for two and a half years. And I have to say, ma'am, I don't, I'm doing all I can, but I don't have any money today. And I'd get in my 1998... Red extended cab Dodge Ram, five-speed, 5.7-liter Hemi engine that I owed gas mileage by the time I got done driving. I didn't get gas mileage. I owed it gas mileage. And I'd go down 50 miles going toward the house and West Windover Avenue is off of I-40 in Greensboro, and there was a Chick-fil-A. And I'm going to tell you something. I knew God called me to preach because I hate manual labor, and I love chicken. I knew God had called me to preach. I detest working outside, and I love bird. I mean, I love bird. Now, I don't know how the devil jumps on you. I'm just going to tell you how the devil jumps on me. It would never fail when that woman would make me feel like I was nothing. I'd drive past that Chick-fil-A, and I'd be so hungry. All I had was just a little sandwich, and I'd be so hungry. And I wasn't starving, but I'd drive past. And it was like the devil got in that truck. And just said, some kind of God you got. He ain't helping you pay for school. And your God won't even give you enough money to buy lunch. What kind of God do you have? For two and a half years, I listened to that. We prayed, and one day I got a phone call from my pastor to meet him at his office. When I got to his office, I was a junior in school. I had three semesters left. When I got to his office, there was a little couple sitting in the office right over there. And he was sitting right over there. And he didn't play. as a Vietnam vet. He didn't, he didn't have any sense of humor. He was just a serious, straightforward guy. And he said, Tyler, Raymond and Nell want to talk to you. And I said, "Yeah, yes, yes. Can, I, I'm, I, I didn't mean to do it. If I did anything, I don't know. I, I didn't know these people. They went to the church, but I didn't know them. They looked at me, and he said, son... We've been watching you now for about two and a half years. We weren't real sure, but we really do think God's going to do something with you. We want to be a part. He said, my aunt died a year ago, and I was her only living relative, and we just settled her estate. And Her only instruction, she was a little little mill worker. She didn't have much money. She said she told us when we sold her house and settled the books, to give it to the work of God in whatever way we could. He said, son, it ain't much. He said, but, and he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a little folded up piece of paper, and if I'm lying, I'm dying. He handed it to me. He said, you take this and you use it on your school. It ain't much, but it'll help. I opened up that piece of paper, and I was 20 years old. I opened up that piece of paper. It was a check written to Tyler Golden. For $15,000, I was stunned. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't cry. I couldn't laugh. I I didn't know what to do. He said, you take that, and you pay on your school bill. Whatever's left over, you use it for God's work. I took that money, and I was so poor. I didn't know when you get a check that big that they put a 72-hour hold on it. I didn't know that, but they do. I went and got that check, put it in my bank at Bank of America. 72 hours later, however long it was, I woke up that day, I turned on my computer, I saw that check, it hit my account. Son, I felt Pentecost in my soul. I went, I got my only three-piece suit that Miss Penny Andrews with the old Gethsemane Quartet bought me at the men's warehouse. Son, I went in there, I threw that navy blue Jones New York suit on. I got my Stacy Adams tie. I threw that silk-looking beauty on my neck. I got my polished faux alligator skins. I polished them up with that fake thing you get at Walmart Son, I walked out looking like a million bucks. I was so happy I couldn't find my Bible. We had a family Bible about the size of a suitcase down on the coffee table. Son, I picked that Bible up under my arm. I went down. I got in my Dodge Ram. I made my way to school. Son, I tell you, I turned flips inside of my heart. I sang every praise song I knew to sing. I talked about how good God was. I got to that school that morning. The registrar's office opened up at at 8 o'clock I got there at 750. Five. I walked in with that Bible under my arm. I had the checkbook in my pocket, and I walked in. Son, she turned that sign around and said she was opening at 8 o'clock. I walked in there to that woman. I stepped into that desk. I, she had a little bell. She saw me coming and ran to her office, the coward. I saw they had a little bell on that desk. I guess she thought I was going to smack her in the face with that family Bible. I don't really know. Man, I had a bell on the corner of her little desk. You know those little bells I have at the library? I looked around, and I just just kept, I was going to let that Jezebel come out of that office, and I was about to give her one in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Son, she came out of that office, and she looked at me, and she had that snarky snarl on her nose. She said, Mr. Golden, are you going to pay $5, $10, or have a little faith and pay $20? I said, baby doll, I'm about to walk on water I reached into my pocket. I pulled out that checkbook. I'll tell you how poor I was. You know what check I was about to write? At the top it said 103. That's exactly how poor I was. You youngins have no idea what I'm talking about, but you old folks know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, I got that checkbook out. I said, I want to pay everything. She said, what do you mean you want to pay everything? I said, let me say it in Greek, everything. Let me say it in Hebrew, everything. Let me say it in English, everything. Let me say it in Spanish, everything. She said, you mean you want to pay everything? I said, ring-a-ding, baby, that's exactly what I want to pay. She said, well, that'll take me just a second. She said, how much do you want me to put? I said, I want this semester, next semester, my last semester graduation fees, parking fees. I'll even buy your lunch for free. Whatever you want, you put it on that bill. Son, she went back in there. She had one of those calculators. You know when you hit the buttons, it sounds like you're chopping up an oak tree. You know what I'm talking about? Son, she was back in there, back in there, back in there, back in there, back in there. She came out. She had a receipt about as long as her tongue. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Son, she brought that receipt out, and at the bottom of that receipt, it said $14,993 and some odd cents. I had never written a check that big. You know when you you got to spell the words out there. I'd never, son, I wrote 14. 14- thousand nine hundred and ninety three dollars and whatever and I handed it to her. Son she reached up under that little desk right there she took that red stamp and I'd never seen that stamp before but I ain't never going to forget it. Son she took that stamp dipped it in that red ink pad and stamped at the bottom of that long receipt paid in full and ladies and gentlemen I remind you right now I didn't trust that woman not a bit. I said you're going to stamp every paper in my file and for the next five minutes she'd stamp and flip and stamp and flip and and every time son she'd stamp and flip I'd turn a cartwheel in the name of the son of the living God I got in my car I made my way back down the highway but this time honey I was rejoicing I was praising God I mean obviously you can tell I get mighty excited about certain things I mean I was so excited I couldn't even breathe and I I looked at the sign and off to the right I saw a chicken sign And I wasn't about to ask because God had been too good to me. And the Holy Ghost gut punched me. And he said, Son, I didn't give you $14,993, some odd cent. He said, I gave you $15,000. Son, I took that red Dodge Ram. I cut across four lanes of traffic on Business 40. I hung off the hard a hard right on the Nolewood Street exit. I went up to the top of that bridge. I hung me a hard left. I went over top of that bridge, hung me the first left on the right. I peeled into that Chick-fil-A there on Nolewood Street. I walked in. It was 1027. I walked in. Son, I'm crying. I mean, I am absolutely turning cartwheels in my heart. I got that family Bible up under. And you know what I was a say? I don't care who sees me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is a power. I walked into that Chick-fil-A. It was 1029. That precious little lady came to the register. If you want to get full or meet somebody full of the Holy Ghost, go talk to them little women that work in the morning shift at Chick-fil-A at the front register. Son, I walked in there, and she said, how can I help you, sir? Remember, I got on my three-piece suit, got the family Bible up under my arm. I said, ma'am, can I have a number one, no pickles, large fry, large sweet tea, extra ice, extra butter on that bun, two Chick-fil-A, and before I knew it, I was crying right there in Chick-fil-A, and she looked at me, she said, what's your problem, white boy? I said, ma'am, I said, my God just move the mountain. And I started telling her the story. I, told, I said, that lady, she said, preach on, white boy, preach on, just help yourself. And before I knew it, I was telling her my story. She got to lifting up her arms. I got to lift up my arms. She got to shouting. I got to shouting. The people all started gathering around. And I got to tell them. And man, she brought out my, my number one. I got over there. I ate that sandwich. I walked to that table. Son, I'm dipping those fries in that Polynesian, dipping it down in that Chick-fil-A sauce. And I'm just rejoicing in the things of God. And Here's what I wanted to tell you. I said all that to say this. For two and a half years, that dirty devil had ridden me, had beat me down. But you know who I could not find on the other side of sweet deliverance? I could not find that rascal. And I want to remind you right now, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're bowing. It doesn't matter what you're fighting. You lay it down at the feet of the crucified one. And in time, on time, every time, our God will be faithful. How do I know? Because there's nothing. Too hard for God. I'm done. Can I give you one more? I promise I'm done. I ain't one of them preachers. I done told you all that. Can I give you one more? There ain't no saint God can't secure. There ain't no situation God can't swing. But number three, there ain't no sinner God can't save. I don't know about isms and schisms. I don't know about philosophies and theologies. This is my theology. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves the little children. All the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. You're in this room right now and you've listened to this entire message and you've never been born again. You've never had that moment where you say, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That moment where you said, Whether you're a teenager down here, whether you're an adult here, whether you're a senior citizen up there, you've never had that moment where you said yes to Jesus Christ. You cannot put your finger on that time and place where you said yes to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you remember what you said. It doesn't matter if you can remember the day. You just remember the time if you don't have that and you can't worry about the situations and you can't worry about being a saint. I remind you right now, there is a God in heaven that sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sin and he bled your death. He died your death. He paid for your sins. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. He died for you that you might live. Son, I've met some boogers in my day. I'm talking boogers. Can I tell y'all, one of the most unbelievable men I've ever met, his name was Tommy. He's probably watching tonight. He's in Greensboro, south of Greensboro in Pleasant Garden. Tommy was a hell's angel biker. And his wife invited him to come to church one day, and I, I was a youth pastor. Right now, I didn't ever get to preach. And so, Paul said be instant in season, out of season. My one responsibility on Sunday morning, I had to read the announcements. So I decided that if I couldn't preach, I was going to preach the announcements. And I mean, I'd stand up. And I'd say, welcome to the house of God. Now, ladies, don't forget this coming Tuesday night. You're going to have you one more Holy Ghost time together. Now, men, don't forget on Thursday night, we are headed down to the feed trough, down to the golden corral. Won't it do it? Won't it do it? Won't it do it? Now, next Saturday, we're going to have a pinto bean supper. And I stepped back and I looked at the pastor I said, it's your turn. (laughs) And about that time, in the back door, walked a guy with long braided hair, tattoos down one side, tattoos down the other side, had a beard, and it was all braided. And on his vest was a black leather vest. And I couldn't see it. We had no shotgun building. But I could see on the breast pocket was a skull with angel wings coming off of it. And, honey, I knew what that was. Preacher would preach, and Preacher said that every time he would preach, he'd come to the invitation, and Tommy would get up and walk out. The next week, he'd come back, and during the invitation, he'd get up, and he'd walk out, and finally, Preacher Lemons called him, and he said, Tommy, he said, I want you to meet me in the office Wednesday night at 5 o'clock. Don't be late. Tommy came to the office that Wednesday night, and you know what Tommy had done? Tommy had gone and gotten a haircut. Tommy had gone down to Goodwill, and he got him a little brown tweed jacket to cover up all his tattoos. You say, what was Tommy doing? Tommy was doing what sinners all do, trying to get cleaned up from the outside in order to change the inside. It just don't work that way. God's got to get your heart, and he'll take care of the rest. Tommy sat down, On the preacher's couch, he said, Preacher Lemons, he said, God ain't going to save me. He said, I was in Vietnam. He said, I've done some wicked, vile stuff. He said, I ain't been right ever since I got back from Vietnam. He said, Preacher, God ain't going to save me. Preacher Lemons looked at him and he said, Tommy, if I showed you somebody worse than you that God saved, would you bow your head and believe that God would save you if you put your faith in him? He said, Preacher, there ain't nobody worse than me. He said, Tommy, let me tell you about a lady that was pulled out of her house in the very act of adultery and taken down and laid at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And he said, The Lord looked at her and threw her accusers away, and he wrote in the sand. She lifted up her eyes, and he said, Woman, where are thine accusers? And she said, Lord, there aren't any. He said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He said, Tommy, can I tell you about a man one day that was warming his hands by the fire? He used to stay with the Lord Jesus. And as he warmed his hands by the fire, he said, a woman asked him, aren't you with the Galilean? He said, I don't know the man. Somebody else asked him, aren't you with the Galilean? He said, I don't know the man. He said, aren't you with the Galilean? He cursed his name and said, I don't know the man. He said, Tommy, fast forward. That same man stands up 50 days later, forgiven and full of the Holy Ghost. His name was Peter. He said, Can I give you one more, Tommy? He said, Can I introduce you to a man that murdered Christians? Can I introduce you to a man that hated God so much that he threw those same Christians into prison, beat the women, murdered the men, and separated the children? He said, Who was that preacher? He said, His name was Saul, but you may know him as Paul. He said, He was a murderer. But he met the Lord Jesus and he followed Christ and Christ forgave him of his sins. I want to talk to somebody in here right now that says, God ain't going to save me. I was 16 years old, three rows from the back of the Vandalia Baptist Church. I'd been in church all my life. I'd even been baptized. But I'd never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And that preacher stood up that night. And he stood up and as he said, he said, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ... He said, it doesn't matter if you've been baptized. It doesn't matter if you go to church. You're not saved. And I thought, that's me. What do I have to do? He said, all you've got to do is call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. I remind you sitting here in this church right now, if you've never been saved, that you are the one that Jesus is calling right now. You are the one the Holy Ghost is saying, listen to him right now. You are the one teenager that the Spirit of God, you say, I've messed up. Jesus knows what he's, what you've done, and he's still calling your name. You say, I've gone too far. Jesus knows who you are, and he's still calling your name. You say, I'm a church member, but I've never been saved. God knows who you are, and he's still calling your name. You say, I've been baptized. He knows who you are, but he's calling your name. You say, Tyler, what I do. In just a second they'll come and they'll play and they'll sing and as soon as they do you'll see people get up and lay their burdens on an altar. Those that are believing God to move mountains. Those that are believing God to roll back the Red Seas. Those that are believing God to move in their family. Those saints that are coming back to God like the prodigal. At that same time you get up out of your seat. You don't worry about who's beside you. You don't worry about who's around you. You just worry about the Lord Jesus that's calling you and with all of your heart, with faith in your heart you step out of your seat and come down to an altar and by stepping out of your seat somebody will take the Bible and will show you the Lord Jesus Christ and you can know that you've been saved by the grace of God Tyler will God save me there's nothing too hard for God whether you're in the balcony, whether you're in the back, whether you're in the middle, or in the front, whether you're a Christian and you need God to move, I remind you, there's nothing too hard for him. And whether you're a saint of God that's wandered far, a backslider, there's nothing too hard for God. Or whether you're a sinner and you say, I need to be born again, there's nothing too hard for God.